He's doing really well. He was good enough they let him come home on Tuesday, and he's doing Pastor's Perspective from his house. They did a hookup there, and uh, but I mean, they put an extra um, rail up his stairway so he can get up by hanging onto both sides, and and uh, he's he's roaring to get back in the office. So do keep him in prayer that he'll really get his strength back because it does take a while, but he's doing really well. And um, continue to pray for the people who um, have recently lost loved ones in our church. Um, uh, Jeannie West went to be with the Lord this last week, and um, which was a total blessing for her. And she's with the Lord, and that's exactly where she's been telling us that she wanted to be. Um, but it's still a tough adjustment for the family, and what do you do now, and all that kind of thing. And so they'll be having a memorial service coming up towards the end of this month or just in the process of planning it. So um, do hold them up in prayer. And and uh, Michael Schrader's brother, Danny, that went to be with the Lord, they're having a service on this Saturday, I think at 10 o'clock. And um, again, it was one of those stories where um, he got right with the Lord through being in a predicament that ended up taking his life. But um, we know where he's going to be for eternity. And so there'll be a lot of people, I'm sure, at that service who don't know the Lord and the gospel will be declared clearly. So hold that. If you think about it on Saturday morning, hold that service up before the Lord because it's just a great chance for the gospel to be preached. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. This is a this is just another amazing chapter. The book of Colossians is so cool. But for two chapters, Paul has just been hammering home good doctrine and how doctrine is all about Jesus. And he, he, he's been doing it from the standpoint of helping them to understand that a lot of the stuff that they've been hearing that sounds like wisdom, that sounds all deep and mysterious, that in reality, it's a bunch of garbage that really you just stick with Jesus, just stick with the gospel, stick with that which he clearly declares, and you don't need to look for a deeper experience. You don't need to look for something extra that most people don't have. Understand what you have in Jesus Christ, and that's, that's where it starts, that's where it ends, that's what it's all about, living in light of what we already know. But Saying things like that and living them are two different things. And Christianity is not something that's meant to be held as a view. It's not something that is a position that you have or a belief that is in your mind that you believe um, certain things and therefore you're a Christian. But Christianity is a way of life. The gospel has serious ramifications that affect the way we live. And not just from the standpoint of, okay, you're a Christian, now you need to be good. It's not that at all. It's, hey, you're a Christian, now you don't have to keep destroying yourself the way you've been doing before you began to walk with the Lord. And so God calls us to live on a higher plane. And that is supposed to flesh itself out in the way that we live. Sometimes, all the time, that's difficult, that's a struggle, because we're still here in this world, we still have our flesh, and so 
living the Christian life is not necessarily an easy thing to do, but the more we understand who Jesus is, the more of an impact it ought to have on the way that we live our lives. And ultimately, becoming a Christian is not just punching your ticket to heaven. It's saying you don't have to keep ruining your life like you've been ruining it. Unfortunately, there are some people who have accepted Jesus and yet they've never made that transition into, oh, this is actually a way that you live. This isn't just a a view that you hold to. And so a lot of times people like that can give Christianity a really bad name. See, because if you're living the Christian life the way it's designed to be lived, people ought to look at your life and go, that person is so alive. That person is living an abundant life. There's somebody who's full of joy and full of love and full of enthusiasm, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But unfortunately, a lot of times, we don't live in light of what we say we believe, and therefore, people look at you and go, wow, you look really bummed all the time, and you seem to be no fun. Um, You must be a Christian, right? (laughs) And I, you know, there are sometimes when I just, I meet somebody and they're so weird, I figure they've got to be a Christian. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so Paul here in chapter three shifts gears and he goes from this incredible knowledge, this incredible understanding of who Jesus is and the fact that in him is all the fullness of the Godhead and in him you have been made full. You've been made complete. You have it all. Now he says, okay, what's that look like in your life? What is that? How does that actually translate into actual life? And so he says, verse 1, chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, if you've had this new life where you're old, the old you, you sacrificed it and you took on a new life, you were born again, if that's the case, Then seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So how does the life actually change? He says, understand what it means that the old you is actually dead. It still acts like it's alive. But in reality, see, everything that you do that has to do with the values of this world, every sin that you commit, for instance, Jesus already died for that stuff. You need to stop focusing on that. What you need to do is change the way you think. As, as Paul said over Romans, renew your mind. Start thinking differently. And so how do you do that? First of all, in verse 1, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek. What are you looking for? What do you really want? What is it that excites you? What is it that you daydream about? What is it that you, uh, you know, you're hoping is going to happen? What is it that you pray for? What is it that you pray about? What is it that when it happens, it really pumps you up? What is it that you're really looking for? What do you want to be when you grow up, really? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, 
start to desire the things that are from above. In other words, the things that last. Things that are above are things that you're still going to have when you get to heaven. Things that are not from above are all the things that are going to be destroyed just like that when your life is over. And it will be over someday. And so he says, how about thinking more eternal thoughts? Seeking and desiring things that matter most. I mean, one of the immediate effects of that is to care about the things that he cares about. For instance, one of the things that inevitably the devil wants to do in your life is get you to care more about things than you do about people. And, and so we sacrifice relationships in order to get material things. Oh, if someone rips you off, boy, they can make you miserable for years. They can completely destroy your joy because you care about things more than you do about people. And he's going to get into this a little bit more. So, for instance, spending time with people who you're going to be with for eternity or spending time with non-Christians hoping to bring them to a relationship with Jesus Christ where you can take them to heaven with you, it doesn't get any more important than that. Sharing the gospel and sharing relationship and interacting with others, those are things that are connected to heaven. By seeking things that are above, it also means to look at everything. It's not that we can live just with our head in the clouds, but it's looking at life down here from the perspective of above, from the perspective of eternity and what matters most. And again, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. What are you thinking about? What are you planning? What is important to you? Now, obviously, there are things that we, of necessity, need to think about that are very much down here. But do we think about them in light of up there? And that's the real question. Are we dealing with things down here as citizens of heaven, as people who are connected to heaven, as people who know that what happens down here is very temporary. And only as it connects to eternity does it really have lasting value. So not getting yourself all wrapped up in and obsessed with and, and distracted by things down here that have no connection to eternity, things that just won't last. And so this is all about making a choice. Now, it's funny because and he's going to go on and talk so much about what God has done for us and his grace. And, you know, Paul harps on that a lot. It's interesting how the devil wants us, even when we're trying to be good Christians, he wants us to think that if we just change the way we live down here, if we can just stop doing bad things, then everything's going to be better. But that's not what Paul says. I mean, later he's going to say, yeah, say goodbye to that stuff. It's, it's no good. It's not helping you. But the important thing is thinking from an eternal perspective, making decisions based on what lasts. Satan, you know, guess what? Today, I don't know what kind of a day you had, but probably most of us, unless you were in a coma and woke up right before church, probably most of us did some sins sometime today. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> now, to set your mind on things above and to seek things from above doesn't mean that you obsess on where you blew it. The devil wants us to obsess on where we blew it. And that's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But don't you know that sometimes when you want to be the best Christian that you can be, so often you spend most of your time thinking about how messed up you, you are and, and how, much, how many mistakes you've made and wishing that you could undo it. Now, you need to confess your sins and you need to repent of them, no doubt about it. But what the devil wants you to do is think about sins that Jesus already paid for. He, they were nailed to the cross, as we saw before. And yet the devil goes, you know, you better think about that some more. You failed 10 different ways today, and that ought to mess up your evening. That ought to, in fact, you owe God to have a lousy day tomorrow on the basis of how you messed up today. But what, what Paul is saying here is, no, put your mind in a whole different place. Make what matters coming from a whole different angle. Don't focus on the things down here. Whatever you did, good, bad, or indifferent today, it's gone now. It's not going to last. It's not going to be with you when you're in heaven. But if you will think about what happened down here today, it will keep you from thinking about eternity and thinking about God and what he has done for us. And boy, that is one of the devil's greatest tricks. Is to It's like a good magician uses misdirection. They get you looking at the wrong stuff. They're waving a, you know, some kind of a hanky over here because they don't want you to see what they're doing with this other hand over here. And the devil does the same thing. And it's just like driving your car by looking in your rearview mirror the whole time. <laughs> it's not very smart. You're, n chances of somebody coming from behind and hitting you is pretty slim. And anybody you hit behind you, you've already hit them. But if you're looking in your mirror, you have a really good chance of hitting somebody and getting in a wreck. And the Christian life is the same way. We have to decide to move forward. We have to decide to look at what God has done for us. We have to decide to focus on his grace and his goodness and on our future in heaven, on what matters most. And so think about and seek those things that are above, those things that are ahead, those things that God has done for us. You will never grow spiritually until you can let go of obsessing on what you do that's wrong and begin to really focus on what God does that's right and on what he has done for you. It is always, always the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. It's always and only grace that has the capacity to change the way that we live. And if you have your eyes on what's going on here, you have your eyes on things that are temporal, if you have your eyes on your own sin, and that's where your obsession lies, then you will never begin to think from a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective on what I did today, it's already done. It's gone. What, the only thing that matters, 
is where I'm at right now and where I'm going, what I'm heading to, what's going to happen, rather than looking backwards. And so set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Oh, I love that verse. You're worrying about you? Guess what? You're dead. They can't bust people who are dead. They can't prosecute people who are dead. It may be illegal to commit suicide, but it's really hard to get a conviction. (laughs) Because they're dead. He says, you're dead. So put your focus on what lasts past death. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds too good to be true. I know you think there's a catch. I know it's hard to get your head around that concept, but that is the absolute truth that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. When you start to figure that out, what happens is you start to think in a heavenly way. You start to think, I'm through wasting my time and my energy and my concern on junk down here. And that's what Paul's going to kind of go into. But he reminds us, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the day is going to come when you look glorified. It's already happened. He's already forgiven you. But when he shows up, the real you is going to show up. And the things that you do right now that you're frustrated with, that's not the real you. That's not. You're dead. That's the old man doing stuff. It, it's Put it aside. Don't focus on it. Focus on who you are going to be. Focus on what you're going to look like when you finally come out of your you know, your cocoon, when you finally come out of your shell and you are glorified even as Christ is glorified, he sees you that way now. We ought to see each other that way more. And ultimately, that's what matters. That's really the only thing that matters. (coughs) But, interesting, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So the, re- the result of putting your mind on things above is not that you just excuse whatever you do, you don't worry about what you do, but if you're really, you can tell if you're focusing on heaven because those old practices and those old habits are, they simply begin to fall away. You begin to observe a change in your actual behavior. Because whenever you are fornicating, for instance, or whenever uncleanness, which is a word, a catharsis, something that's not healing, something that's just yucky in your life, whenever passion as the word there is pathos it's just this you know you're you're just a bundle of nerves a bundle of emotion you're just this um 
a person that just loses control, when that's a part of your life, when evil desires epithumia, that's that you're just breathing hard about things, you're, you care too much about things that don't matter, you're obsessing on things that, that, that really, a lot of times it's something that's already passed, and now you're worrying about something that you can't do anything about, and it's got you worked up, it's taking years from your life. And covetousness, which is idolatry, wanting what you don't have that other people have, that's basically idolatry. Why do you do those things? Why is that a part of our lives? It's because we are focusing on things down here. You do not think about heaven and seek heaven and, and look for God's glory and focus on his forgiveness and then go, you know what would make this moment perfect? Some pornography. This would be great. Why doesn't somebody make a Bible with 30 pictures in it? No, you, you would go, oh, you've got to be kidding. That's awful. But see, it's, you cannot not do pornaya. You cannot not do pathos. You cannot not do epithomia. These things happen because you're thinking about things down here. But, and, and it's like trying not to do these things is like trying to not think of a pink elephant. Boom, you know, there it is. So the way that you get rid of, of improper thoughts is to fill your mind with higher thoughts. And, and so while you're worshiping God, while you're focusing on him, while you're in his word, while you're just thanking him for all that he's done. And even as you're looking at the past at all the stupid things you've done, and you're going, God, I thank you that those are forgiven. Those are nailed to the cross. God, it's, it's Wednesday night. I thank you that Wednesday morning's over, and I don't have to relive it, and I don't have to pay for it. Whatever happened today, good or bad, it's over. We start fresh right now. When you do that, it doesn't make you want to obsess on things that don't matter. And all of these things that he lists here are things that come because we, we blow up something that doesn't last. We look for some fleeting temporary pleasure, and either we become frustrated because we're not getting what we want, covetousness, for instance, if you could get everything you wanted, you'd never covet. You just want it, you get it. But when you get frustrated because what you get is never enough, and then you can't always get what you want, if you try sometime, you get what you need. Uh, sorry. Um, I forget what verse that is. But um, <laughs> see, you know, you get frustrated. And so you just go, I want that. I want that. Or, you know, when your life isn't providing you with that perfect relationship that is making your life complete the way they pretend relationships do, and either you don't have a relationship or you have a relationship that's, that's not fulfilling to you or anything and you're frustrated with it, well, having your mind on things above, you go, you know what? <laughs> I may not have the relationship I really want right now, but I have the relationship that matters for all of eternity. It's guaranteed. And, and God is real to me right now in a way that no person could ever be to me. 
and boy, my marriage isn't what it should be, and I'm planning on dragging to my, sp- my spouse out to those videos, and I think maybe Kurt Warner can do it. Well, let's just see if he can even win a wild card game first. But, but beyond that, no, if you start thinking like that, if you start expecting more out of what's here than what's realistic, then what do you do? You start to just try to find another way of getting it. That's what fornication is. It's trying to artificially create something that actually doesn't really exist. And it will always leave you empty. It will always leave you even more frustrated, just like covetousness, just like anger. You know, when you blow your stack, it doesn't ever... I mean, sometimes for a fleeting moment, you feel better about it, but then you feel bad about it for a long time. Because you just, you know you just made a fool of yourself. But you were doing it because life wasn't giving you what you wanted down here. But these things don't happen because your mind is on things that are above. These things happen because you're putting too much significance on what's not going to last. And so he goes, if you'll, if you'll think about the right things in the right way, if you'll, if you'll decide that what's important is what lasts, then you're going to see these things just fall away from you. You won't <coughs> desire them more. All of these things become part of your life because you're frustrated, because you're, you're obsessing on the wrong things. You're wanting the wrong things. You're expecting something out of life that life doesn't give you. And if you just let go of that and realize what heaven's going to be like, and realize what forgiveness is about, and realize how long it is that we're going to be have a, an absolutely perfect life, then, you know, and, and just like when we lose someone that we love, you can either sit here and ruin your life over it, and boy, it always hurts, and it always takes something away from you. But how do we get through that? How do we battle through that? We start to think about life that they have now. We start to think about them being you know, out of pain and in the presence of God and rejoicing and, and being in glory forever. We begin to focus on that. And all of a sudden, wow, <laughs> I'm feeling better. And yes, then you start feeling sorry for yourself because your loved one's not here and you, and you get on this roller coaster kind of thing. That's okay. What pulls you out always ultimately is to think about what lasts. And the more we can do that, the more these other things will fall out of our life. But again, remember, if you're going, I feel so bad because fornication and a catharsis, uncleanness, not healing, I make everyone sick, you know, and, and, which is really what it means. I'm just too passionate. I'm too you know, pathetic. I'm, I, I want the wrong things strongly. I, I want stuff. Don't even think about that. Yeah, I get it. That's a part of everyone's life down here. But stop focusing on that. If you focus on what matters, those things will begin to drop out of your life. In the same way that when you were a kid, you might have loved to you know, and I shouldn't, this may sound sexist, but for the most part, little girls love playing with dolls when they're young. Little boys love playing with guns and 
trucks and, you know, little cars and things like that. Now, some of us never grow out of that, but for, for, the, for the most part, nobody had to tell you, had to take all your Tonka trucks away from you. All of a sudden, you discovered things that were more interesting. No one had to tell you, okay, get rid of the dolls. It just kind of happens, and they get put away. And, you know, then like a, like a boy with their baseball cards, you end up, you know, getting mad that they didn't save them because it turns out they're worth more than you thought. And, oh, I had that original Barbie doll. and now, but, but for the most part, it's like, no, you just outgrow it. And that's what walking with God does for us. These other things that are artificial ways of trying to find satisfaction, we just realize it's just... I've grown past it. There are things that matter to me more now. And you know how this works. Maybe you chased finding just the right car, and you just want that one special car. I guarantee you get that car after a while, it'll heal you of that. I used to change cars about every three or four months. There were times, there were years when I had 12 cars. And when I was, obviously when I was single. But... (laughs) Now, I, I, like, I get a car, I keep it for a long time. And when it's finally time to get another car, I don't even know what kind of car I want. I can't think of a car that I've ever really wanted that I didn't get at one time or another. And then realize, it's just a car. It's no big deal. Well, in the same way, when we grow up spiritually, we just get over some of this stuff. Never to be perfect, because you're always going to fall back a little bit. You know, I went through this thing where I spent a couple months looking on the internet on eBay for the, for the rifleman rifle, the Hubley flip special that, that Chuck Connors used on the rifleman. I finally realized that's stupid. I, I, I really wouldn't enjoy playing with it anymore. I, I've never forgiven my mom that she never got me one when I was a kid, but now I can afford one. They're like 400 bucks, and I'm like, what am I going to do with that little plastic rifle anyway? But, you know, every once in a while, sure, and this is true in every area of sin, you may fall back into something stupid. You, may, you know, maybe God's delivered you, for instance, from alcohol addiction, and then one time you just, you're like, I don't even know what happened. It was, I just, it was there, and I did it, and I feel like an idiot. Yeah, that was idiotic, but get over it. Don't obsess on that. Don't Act like, oh no, I'm back to square one. No, you're not. Focus on what's above. When you fail, put it behind you. It's buried. Your life is hidden in Christ. Start every moment fresh. What are you going to think about? What are you going to seek? What do you want to do? And when that happens, that other stuff, it just, it just drops by the wayside. I know, you know, when I became a Christian, it was funny. I, I never... and Different people are different with different things, but for me, for instance, drugs just, I just didn't want them anymore. I didn't go on a program, I didn't fight it, I didn't, it was just as simple, and I, and I was thankful for that, you know, because it, you know, pastor who smokes pot, it's just not good. But, <laughs> but I'd be with people, they're passing a joint around, and it's like, I'd just pass it on, I didn't even want it. And then there were times like years later when I'd be at a baseball game or concert or something, and boy, that does smell good. But <laughs> I never, I never did it, you know, because it's just like that was a stupid. That 
that is gone with my hair. You know, it's like, this is, I see a ball guy smoking a joint. It's just pathetic. And, and so in the same way with all of these things, it's like, just grow up, that's all. You don't need that stuff anymore. It didn't work the first time. It's not going to fix you now. Seeking things that are above is what's going to change your life. And, and he says, besides that, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. He, he goes, remember those things and how they've messed people up. Remember those things and the damage that they did, not only to your life, but the damage that they do to other people's lives. You, you know, it, it may, you may be able to handle it, but look at people who are being destroyed for eternity because of valuing these things. I, you know, to be honest with you, to go shopping is not something that's really appealing to me when I see the mess that people's lives get in. If you know someone who's an obsessive shopper who totally destroys their life, and I have some people I really love who've just damaged their lives greatly by shopping too much, I can't even go to the store without thinking about that. Personally, I have no desire to drink alcohol because I've seen what it's done in people's lives. I would never get involved in a physical illicit relationship with somebody um, because I, I, every day I talk to people whose lives are destroyed by that kind of stuff. It really, I understand the appeal, but at the same time, it's like, please, do I want to bring that into my life? Would I, is that really what I want? And that's kind of what he's saying. He's going, do you want to spend your life doing the kinds of things that are destroying people? that are sending people to hell, that are, that are the kinds of things that keep people from God. Oh, if you do it, it's not going to send you to hell. But he's going, you're acting like somebody who hasn't been saved, who hasn't been rescued. Do you want to act like that? I mean, doesn't, isn't there some higher level of awareness that you want to live in? But hey, yeah, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, You've had the experience. You know what, where it got you. Why'd you ever get saved if you're going to go back to doing the stuff that you did before you were saved? But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Now he talks about putting off and putting on. And those are both in the Greek tense that indicates it's something that you do as a point of action. And he's saying, and he, it's the metaphor of clothing yourself, taking off certain things, putting on other things. And it's really about the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. Because when you, when you become a Christian, you're saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want, it's time for a change. I want to do things differently. And so he says, when you did that, at some point, didn't you decide, okay, this I'm going to put off? And so he says, put off <laughs> these things. Anger, wrath, those explosions of anger. Malice, the desire for something bad to happen to someone. Blasphemy, it just means speaking against. Sometimes it refers to blaspheming against God. But 
Anything that you say against someone else is blasphemous. Especially if you're talking about a Christian who's clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you're bad-mouthing them, you're gossiping them. He's going, didn't you decide that's not the way I want to live? Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. He goes, becoming a Christian means partly, I don't want to be that angry person. I don't want to be that mean person. I don't want to be that guy that wants other people to mess up. I don't want to be that one who finds satisfaction from other people's pain. I want to decide not to live that way. And then he says, and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Now that's in the present tense in the Greek. It's, it could be translated who is being renewed in knowledge. The putting off and the putting on are decisions that you make. How are you going to live? But being renewed in knowledge is something that is going on as a process in our lives. And I'm glad it's a process because I'm not there yet. Neither are you. Some of you are closer than others. But being renewed in knowledge, notice how it still comes back to how you think, what you know, learning lessons from how you've lived, absorbing yourself in the Word of God and seeing what God says about these things so that it has an effect, knowing the joy of forgiveness, knowing what it is to start over in life. You're being renewed in that. God is, if you're his child, he is working on you and teaching you to think differently. There are lessons all around you. Every time you experience pain in your life that's a result of your own stupidity, it's a lesson. You're going to school. You know, yeah, sometimes life is expensive, but it's tuition that's well worth it. You will never lose anything in life that is not more than worth the lesson that you that is potentially there as a result of it. You make mistakes and you lose everything you have. And if you learn from it, <laughs> you, you get to start over. You get to do things differently. You're being renewed in knowledge. God's working on you. And if you allow him to do that, believe me, the process is, is see, the decision to live differently just introduces you to the process. Life is full of great lessons. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know life hurts right now. I know this is difficult. I know you're, some of you are just facing huge challenges. Some of you are carrying horrible pain presently or from something that's in the past or something that someone has done to you or whatever. And all of that stuff... It, it, it carries a high price, but it's more than worth it if you understand that it's all a part of the process of renewal. It's all God's way of working you over and restoring you to, to being the way that he wanted you to be in the first place. And so he says, you're a new person, but you're in the process of becoming a new person. According to the image of him who created him. God's using everything in our lives to make us look more like him. And the more we fight against it, the harder it is. The more we flow with it and accept it as being from his hand, the more blessings are going to be there for us. And it's understanding that that renews us in knowledge. 
And he says, and by the way, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. The Greeks considered anyone who wasn't, or the Romans considered anyone who wasn't a Roman as being a barbarian. Just a, they, they came up with the term because anyone who spoke a language other than theirs just sounded like bar, 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 bar. And so they took that word and they go, you, it, it would be like we would, if we called everyone who doesn't speak English just a blah, blah person. That was the way they did it. And then the lowest of the lows were the Scythians. And what Paul is saying is, wait a minute. There's no, you know, you're not Jew or Gentile, Greek, Roman, barbarian, Scythian. Over in the parallel passage in Ephesians, he says male or female. That's not what it's all about. God isn't a respecter of persons. And so understand, we all get to start fresh. We all start over. We all have his grace. Now, let go of whatever differences are there. Christians of all people should never be prejudiced. Christians of all people should never regard human differences as being something to, well, we're going to treat someone differently based on one of these other things. Because every one of us stands naked before God. He sees us all the same. And if we're his child, he sees us as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If we're not his child, he sees us as somebody that he died to save, someone that he loves, that he wants to draw to himself. And so whoever you see out there, they're either your brother or sister in Christ, and therefore they're right there with you, or they're someone who he wants to introduce to Christ. And so he says, we're all in the same boat, in other words. Therefore, now again, he begins to build on who we are in Christ. Therefore, as the elect of God, that means, understand this, you were chosen by God. Now, I don't understand divine election, but I'm going to believe what the Bible says. And it says that before the foundation of the world, God chose you. Now, if you go, wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm not a Christian. Why didn't he choose me? Well, you want to become a Christian? If you do, you'll find out he chose you too. If you don't want to become a Christian, what do you care if you're chosen or not? His point is, if you are a child of God, you became one because God chose you. You are elect of God. Maybe nobody, when you were growing up, ever chose you. Maybe you're living your life alone and no one ever chose you. But he goes, let's start right here. God chose you. You are God's chosen person. And he says, not only as the elect of God, as holy. And again, that means you're clean. You're pure. You're perfect. God looks at you and he sees righteousness. He sees perfection. Understand that you're, you're chosen. You're holy and clean. As beloved. God loves you. Oh, but nobody else does. So what? It's God. God loves you. What do you care about what anybody else thinks of you if God loves you. There are times when you feel like nobody else loves me. That's okay. God loves you. And a lot more people love you than what you realize, by the way. So he says, put on tender mercies, 
That is, the old King James said, bowels of compassion. They thought the emotions came from your bowels, and so use that as a figure of speech. But the idea is, it's okay for you to care. Now, I like the idea of tender mercies, because a lot of times we don't want to show mercy to people, because we're making ourselves vulnerable in the process. But if you understand that you're chosen, if you understand that you're holy, if you understand that you're loved, now you can afford to be vulnerable. You can afford to really show mercy because you understand who God is. You understand where you have a complete security in where you stand with him, and therefore you can begin to really show that you care, to show those tender mercies. Put on <laughs> kindness. You can be nice. God's been nice to you. Just be nice. I mean, you shouldn't even have to say that. But becoming a Christian means I'm not going to do those stupid things that were destroying me and that destroy other people. I'm putting that off. And I want to be nice. There are some people who still don't get that, who still don't understand that if you're going to be a Christian, you can't just be the lovable jerk. That No, really, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, you're saying, I want to be nice to people. Put on kindness. Put on humility. When we're not kind, it's usually because we're proud. We decide to be humble. And by the way, you give your life to Jesus Christ, he has a hundred different ways to make you humble. And some of you have been fighting against him, and you're getting madder, and you're getting more frustrated, and anger and malice and everything is popping up because of this one thing. God has been trying to teach you humility, and you don't want to learn. You don't want to listen to it. Pride is the number one sin. It's what made the devil the devil, as C.S. Lewis says. And, and so you decide, you know what? If I really am going to walk with God, I'm choosing humility. Now, unfortunately, there aren't a ton of great examples of this. This is the devil's favorite thing to attack. But there are people around you who really are legitimately humble. Look at those people and learn from them and aspire to be more like that. If you're humble, you'll also find that all of those passionate sins that he talked about before, anger, wrath, malice, you know, that that you know, passion, pathos, those things are there simply because you're proud. Those sins are still a part of your life because you haven't allowed yourself to be broken and to realize, you know, as Pastor Romaine used to tell us, you'll never find out if you're really a servant until someone treats you like a servant. <laughs> and so, yeah, do I like being treated like a servant? No, but I'm thankful when people treat me like one because, boy, is that a great test. If people just do what you want them to do, you'll never find out anything about your relationship with that person. But when that person does something that you are totally opposed to, that maybe is hurtful to you, now here's the chance to show what you're made of. Are you going to resist or break off a relationship because of your pride? Or will you just humble yourself and go, okay, that's cool. I, our relationship is way more important to me than whether you do things my way. Humility. It is probably the most important thing to have developed 
in our lives, and it's the one thing that pretty much only comes to us by needing it <laughs> and being, being treated that way and being knocked down and, and broken a little bit. But some people, even when they're knocked on their tail a hundred times, don't ever learn humility. Sadly, there are some people who God blesses and uses, and they become completely puffed up and swollen with pride. But being a Christian means going, I I want to be humble. I don't want to be self-important. I don't want it to always be about me. I don't want people to be afraid to cross me. I want people to know I'll be fine. You know, I, all I want to do is just help and serve and be there for people and encourage them. How do you handle it when you give someone advice and they don't like your advice and they don't take it? Boy, does that show you a lot about how you see yourself. I, I work on this a lot because it's hard. You know, people come to you and they go, I'm in this situation, what should I do? And I know exactly what they need to do, and I tell them, and then they don't do it. Great test. Do I say, look, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'm through talking to you. I don't even want to, I don't want to hear from you ever again. That's pride. But to humble yourself and go, man, I want what's best for you. And even if, you know, even if part of that is that it humbles me that it puts me in my place, that I see my own insignificance, that's so important for us to learn, humility. And as soon as you think you've learned it, you just disqualified yourself. (laughs) As soon as you go, that's why I would never, I'm amazed at these people that write books about humility. It's like receiving an award for humility, as they said, a little boy, they gave him a medal for being humble in Sunday school. And then they took it away from him because he wore it. You know? (laughs) I don't ever want to think, yeah, I'm humble, because if I think I'm humble, I'm not. But humility, important. And he says, uh, put on meekness. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It it means strength under control. It's like a big, strong guy playing with a little kid. He doesn't just go, I could knock this kid out right now, and that's what I'm going to do. But it's somebody so strong that they're not threatened by somebody else's attack. And so they just keep a lid on it, and they go, "Um, you know, I'm not threatened by what people think of me. I'm not threatened by what people say about me. I'm not threatened even by someone's attack. I can stay here in this sweet spot, and, and I'll be fine. That's, that's meekness. That's the kind of meekness that Jesus had. He could have destroyed everyone who ever came after him. He didn't say a word. And he said, take my yoke upon you. All, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Real rest comes from being humble, meek, and lowly going, you know what? You can fight all you want, but this isn't my battle. And I'm not going to live that way. And then finally, long-suffering, being willing to deal with pain and hanging in there, doing it for a long time. And then bearing with one another, putting up with, 
and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Forgiveness. Putting up with people. Isn't that so much of life? What we put up with? But those other people, they're a lot like you, except they're messed up in different areas than what you're messed up in. Or what really kills you is when they're messed up in the same area as you are and you see yourself in them. He goes, just decide you'll put up with each other. And if someone does something against you, forgive them. Well, wait, they don't deserve it. Oh, do you deserve it? Christ forgave you of everything you've ever done. Now, no one has done against you more than everything you ever did wrong. And so... And he's the one who tells you, forgive. Jesus, as he was speaking about the Lord's Prayer and said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, then he put a parenthesis in there and he said, because if you don't forgive people, God won't forgive you. And, and I, I could do a whole thing on that, but I, but I think if you don't forgive people, you don't really understand that God has forgiven you. Therefore, how do you know you're in a right relationship with him if your sins haven't been forgiven. And how do I know that my sins have been forgiven? I'm overwhelmed with gratefulness, and I'm willing to forgive others. The sad thing is, people who can't forgive others have never really, it's never soaked into them their own forgiveness, their own grace. And sometimes the people who seem the most bitter, it's because they so need to know God's love and to know His grace. And they're fighting against that, and so they want to bring everyone else down to their level rather than to realize that God has lifted them up to a whole different level. And boy, and that's what setting your mind on things that are above, seeking what's above, is living on that higher plane and understanding you've been taken care of. It's like a, a guy who is worth $100 million dollars dropping a quarter on the ground and having it roll into the sewer. He doesn't care. It's a quarter. Uh, Bill Gates, somebody calculated that if, if there were $100 bills on the ground and he was walking along picking them up, he actually makes more money than the time that it would take for him to pick up $100 bills. So if Bill Gates drops a $100 bill and he stops to pick it up, he just lost money. That's hard to fathom. But having that kind of, of wealth spiritually that we have, it's just not worth wasting time sinning, wasting time being angry, wasting time being bitter, not forgiving others. He's going, man, when you understand how rich you are, you're making a decision that will change your life in, in so many wonderful ways. Put that on. Live in that. Understand that. And he just, um, we're not going to go into it any further, but he says in verse 14, above all things, put on love, because this is kind of what it's all about. But we'll pick up with that next week. Um, tonight, we're also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is when we remember what Jesus did for us. Because all of these benefits that we're talking about, Everything that changes our life, everything that makes you and me righteous and therefore able to deal with other people, 
Everything that when we appreciate it, we realize that we're being delivered. We're in the process of growing out of those things that hurt us and hurt others. It's all because of what happened on the cross. It's all about what Jesus did for us. Without his sacrifice, no new life, no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remittance for sin. But because of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So all of this is really about Jesus because all of this is about what he did on the cross, the gospel, the good news. Now, if you don't know it and you're here and have just never known even what it means to accept Jesus Christ, it's so simple. It's such a great deal. You can be delivered from everything that's been messing you up by just simply right here, right now, in your own heart, saying, you died for me? I'll go for that. I want to give my life to you. I want to make that transition from being an angry, bitter, self-defeating, other-defeating, lonely person. I want to finally come into those riches that, that you offer. And God, please do that for me. And if that's the desire of your heart, he hears you. And you will be a Christian. You'll become born again tonight. You start over right now if you do that. And then, boy, you get to partake in communion. We're going to pass out the bread and the juice, and it speaks to us of the body and blood of our Lord. And you can take that and realize he is a part of you. I died when he died. I have a new life because he rose from the dead. And boy, this stuff reminds me my sins are paid for, and I'm forgiven, and I've been set free. So as the men come down now and pass out the elements, if you don't know where you stand with God, just get that clear in your own head and, and then partake in communion. For all the rest of us, let's just be thankful for what God has done for us, for the blessings that set us free from destructive life.